All right, welcome everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. It's Twitter space on investing and geopolitics. Avoiding the potholes and hitting opportunities. I'll be your host tonight. I'm Raul Pinnock, Manager of Investor Relations at Barita Investments. We, um, we have panelists lined up. We hope to have a inclusive and lively conversation around geopolitics and how it's affecting both the macroeconomy and the markets. So just hang with us. We're scheduled to start at 7 o'clock. And we're going to come back to you and do just that. So thank you very much again for your time and for joining us. All right, I see Dr. Stokes has joined us. Uh, so let me go ahead and invite Richard to introduce himself. And we'll do the same for Dr. Stokes. Richard? Thank you. Thank you, Rod. Um, afternoon. Um, listeners, um, investors, and, and the general public, um, thank you for joining us this, this evening. My name is Richardo Williams, Assistant Vice President um, of Investment Strategy and Portfolio Advisory here at Barita Investments. Dr. Stokes. Hi, good evening. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing all right, sir. Great. Looking forward to our discussion. All right, great. Richard, do we have Diane with us? We're still waiting. Yes, Diane is, is, is here. Um, but we can just continue until we start out a technical glitch. All right, no problem. All right, everybody. So we're looking tonight at the theme of investing and geopolitics. Uh, we're seeking to avoid potholes and hit the opportunities. So... Let's just get straight into it and set the framework. Uh, we can start with Dr. Stokes, the geopolitical standoff and oil price shock. Uh, what are the specific implications for the Jamaican economy? Good evening again, um, everyone. And as I indicated, you know, thanks for the kind invitation. I believe the the first round impact will be through elevated prices locally. And, and that's because of the impact of the geopolitical situation on commodity prices, in particular energy and wheat. And these two commodities in particular have a far-reaching impact on the cost of living in Jamaica. So we should expect to see in a very near future, uh, you know, continued rise in local prices of imported goods. And then the second order impact will depend on the duration of the geopolitical uncertainty. In other words, how long it takes to get a diplomatic or other solution to what is going on. If the if the duration is, is relatively long, then you, we, we will start to see an impact on disposable income that will definitely have a deleterious effect on local demand, and ultimately we will see a slowdown in the local economy. And that, that I would say, is approaching a worst-case scenario. So hopefully, and fingers crossed, we, there will be... Uh, some diplomatic uh, resolution, and not just a resolution, but uh, an imminent resolution 
to to what we are seeing globally. Okay, okay. Thank you very much for that. We're going to definitely get into uh, some of the details of what was just discussed. But I see we have Miss Diane Parham with us now. I, I really hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'd just like to invite you to introduce yourself to the space. Good evening, and good evening to your viewers and listeners. I'm Diane Parham, president of the Jamaica Gasoline Retailers Association. And thank you so much for the invite. All right, wonderful, wonderful. Um, all right, so Dr. Stokes laid an interesting framework there for us. Uh, Richardo, would you like to provide any follow-on comments to the broad outline that was just shared? Oh, no, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement uh, with, with, with Dr. Stokes. Um, but the only rejoinder I would I would place there is that the nature of the conflict between um, Ukraine and and Russia has ideological uh, roots, and the upshot therefore is that the the conflict is likely to be more prolonged than short lived. At least that is our base case um, expectation. And therefore, the second-order impacts to which he, um, Dr. Stokes, alluded to um, are actually high-probability um, outcomes. You know, that is how we are thinking of, of it just now. And when we take it into its, its logical limit, um, we are likely to see um, certainly locally more policy rate increases as the central bank been mandated to keep an eye, close eye on inflation um, as an inflation target is more than likely going to, to raise rates um, again. And the ramifications there um, are quite significant, um, especially given the fact that one of our main trading partners, the U.S., is likely seeing some slowing down um, of growth. And historically, when we have a case where you're increasing interest rates in a slowing growth environment, the possibility exists that this can induce some kind of recessionary conditions, and that will have um, some some um, reverberating impacts on us uh, locally. So that would be the main rejoinder I would add to, to his comments and how we are seeing it just now. Okay, okay, thank you for that. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I think we should revisit. But uh, just, to, just to start, Ms. Parham, I don't know if you had heard our opener, but I'd be interested, and I'm sure our listeners would be interested to hear how the JGRA is thinking about the current geopolitical situation and what it means for Jamaica and for your, for your members. Thank you. I am in agreement with most of what was said, especially where the disposable income is concerned because you have a fixed income and you have a number of things to do. We are actually, we're actually hoping for those peace talks to begin and really hope for that change. Because if this continues, 
we're going to see prices that are our 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 um, our um persons or customers will not be able to i don't think absorb a lot of that shock i see i see okay so dr stokes um in in summary in terms of we stay with the first order effects what we're facing from a macroeconomic point of view is a commodity price spike correct particularly with crude oil and wheat is is that is that a fair summary of how how, how you um framed the, the first order effects that we would be looking at yes so the first order effects would be the obvious increase in prices that we have seen in especially in commodity markets the other first order impact that I didn't discuss is really an increase in the fair index volatility, and that is creating uh, a problem for risky assets, right? And it is also impacting um, long-term investment decisions because, as you know, when when fear increases, persons become a little bit more um, cautious about making long-term plans, and you know, again. If the, the longer this goes on and the, the fear becomes entrenched, then that is actually enough to, to spook demand and to create a problem for economic activity. So the, the two big um, first-order effects are the, 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 the impact on, on markets, in particular the commodity markets, and but also importantly, what we are seeing as well is an increase in the fear in index as uh, measured by by volatility, and that also will will have or is having an impact on on planning decisions and and businesses and how they make decisions. And this is also an important um, transmission mechanism from what's happening from the geopolitical side to how it finds its way into the real economy. Okay, okay. So if if we so if we take that those that, that those set of first order effects and we look at the market developments, the market dynamics, and we try to apply it to our local scenario and also maybe broadly uh, more regionally. Uh, I'd, I'd ask you to put on your all investments hats um, and, and think through advising uh, market participants. Or it, if we have higher commodity prices and we have, we have a squeeze in Russia and, and Ukraine, is it, does it make sense then to reallocate portfolios, portfolios towards the in towards investments that intuitively we think would benefit right so i mean if you're selling gasoline um is is that is that the type of investment that you would expect to do well in this kind of environment um and especially in in the car in the broader caribbean region we do have a number of jurisdictions that have a number of countries that are levered to commodity prices particularly crude oil is is an environment like this 
uh, boom time for those economies? How does it, how does the price action that we've seen, how does it make out on balance? Right. So, so two, uh, um, so two takeaways I, um, I have from your question. One in terms of how markets or countries are impacted, and the second at an individual level, how what are some general themes for investors? So if we start at the, the macro level or the country level, definitely commodity exporters in particular, energy exporters, and obviously ones that are not sanctioned, um, should see a boon from, from what's happening, right? And you know, should see a, a, a windfall in, in their hard currency earnings, right? So, so that's obviously the, the big impact. And in terms of losers, um, commodity importers like ourselves uh, will, will see if especially this thing goes, uh, you know, in a protracted way, an impact on our balance of payment. The, at the investor level, uh, it really goes back to, and, and this Richardo opened up with a pretty interesting remark in terms of the duration of a crisis and, and how long an investor sees, uh, you know, the, the, this issue between um, the West and the East playing out because duration is a key theme and it is going to drive um, how you position yourself so for example if you think that the the events are short-term in nature and there is an imminent diplomatic solution then you know you really don't want to um, or you know you, you'd probably just want to be a trader to benefit from the from the volatility of course if you have the risk tolerance however if you are a long-term investor, and in particular, if you believe that you know there will be some way to go before we we arrive at <clears throat> a resolution to this issue, then it makes sense to keep your powder dry. In other words, to stay liquid for the time being, because I believe, <clears throat> sorry, there will be better entry points or good entry points for good quality long-term assets, and therefore. Um, investors who are looking at um, various asset classes um, should wait because I believe risky assets are going to to face um, or come under a bit of pressure, and, and there will be a many there will be many opportunities to to enter, uh, you know, at good long term um, value. But of course, you know, with investments, it really depends on your risk tolerance, your tolerance for risk, and importantly, as I indicated. Um, try and, and develop your investment theme, right? And importantly, ascertain the duration or what you believe to be the duration of this current conflict. Okay, okay. Um, th that that's the the issue of duration. I think is a very important one. I think we'll we should definitely return to that. But just to finish off where we are now, Miss Parham. You, you're, you're, you're an operator in this space. Uh, you, you're, you're, you have your hand on the pulse of what's happening with the operating businesses that have very direct exposure to this geopolitical crisis. We're opining on it. Is so far has this price spike just been a boom for for your members? Is this is this the best time you ever seen operating in Jamaica? Absolutely not. The working capital demand that's required, no. It's actually not something that you benefit from with high prices because 
when you need to purchase and you have a fixed income, then you can only purchase that much. There's no more that you can purchase. In terms of the broader impact from our members, we are not seeing any increase in business. This does not result in an increase in business at this point in time for us. So we're really looking to see the duration. The duration is really what's critical. 24 months ago, oil prices were at negative. So it shows the volatility of this commodity and the impact that it can have. Now is not a time that we are making profits per se. Okay, that's, that's very important. Feedback. All right, so duration, we all, we all agree that duration is an important variable here. Uh, you know, I'm of the view that only, only God can tell the future with certainty. And uh, as far as I've scrolled, God is not logged into the space via Twitter right now. So what I'm going to do is say, let, let's, let's take three scenarios and maybe at the end we can figure out what the base case or what's closest to the base case. But in, in, in a scenario where the current sanctions response or whatever, or, or whether it be sanctions response or it be the military developments of the conflict, result in a negotiated peace in the near term. So if this turns out to be a three-month effect, uh, where, where do you think that leaves us macro in terms of the macroeconomy? And where do you think that leaves us in terms of markets? And, and how do we navigate that? So we'll, 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 take, we'll take that case and we'll take a, a, a longer duration scenario and, and, and take the same questions and then maybe we can work out a base case in the middle. Uh, Richard, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you and with, with that question. In the event that this is a short-lived three-month um, three phenomenon, where, where do you see it leaving the, the, the macroeconomy, uh, geopolitics, and, and how does all of that impact markets and investments? Well, if if it if it remains, uh, or if it is a short-lived event, then what is likely to happen is is that it will kind of exacerbate or make worse um, some of the more latent trends that we are observing now, such as um, inflation, right, and consequently the current expectation of policy rate hikes, um, certainly at the level of the, uh, of the U.S. Fed, um, is, is more likely to happen than not, right? Um, the, the run rate as it relates to economic growth as well is also likely to be uh, um, a concern even um, if this conflict uh, remains, remains um, short-lived, right? So the key point there, Ron, is that if it's short-lived, the trends that we observed heading into the event are likely to, to persist. Um, and if that is the case, then we're going to likely to see continued um, elevated levels of inflation because in the context of, say, the U.S., the labor market is still um, fairly, fairly tight. That is driving significant uh, inflation there the supply chain disruptions are still um, 
elevated and in different spaces and places um, you still have COVID-19 related restrictions, right? So those are going to be um, continued constraints on, on, economic, on economic activity. And then we can abstract from that the local implications. The BOJ is vigilant as a young inflation targeter to, to command the attention, um, not the, just the attention, but the confidence um, of the local market that's serious about inflation targeting. And therefore, we will also continue to expect the BOJ to use either liquidity measures, as it has been doing, to restrict J-dollar liquidity, or continue to increase the policy rate, the magnitude of which we would not be able to tell at this point. Um, but certainly, it is a possibility. Um, so those are some of the, the, the expectations we would have um, in a scenario where the conflict is, is short-lived. Okay, thank you. Um, Dr. Stokes, Richardo mentioned just now that the BOJ is a young inflation targeter um, from a central bank point of view. I, I, I wanted to know if you could sustain with our scenario of a short-lived one-quarter event in terms of the kinetic war between Russia and Ukraine. In that same scenario, I wanted to know if you could, if you could comment on the history of inflation targeting central banks. Uh, you know, the Fed comes to mind in terms of how they have behaved when allies are at war and they are still facing domestic inflationary pressures. Markets are pricing up to seven hikes from the Federal Reserve in the United States this year. Uh, how do you see that evolving? Uh, even in, in this kind of geopolitical situ situation, does the centra do central banks, do inflation targeting central banks tend to respond to geopolitical exigencies or pressures, if you will, or do they kind of just stay the course in terms of domestic inflation and getting that under control? Great question, um, Raul. Thanks. So the one key model that central bankers use throughout the world is, is what we call a Phillips curve. And, and that essentially is uh, a relationship between unemployment and inflation, right? Now, why is that important? It, it's important because if the, the Fed or any central bank foresees a rise in unemployment or a reduction in, in economic activity, they will expect downward uh, pressure on inflation, and therefore they will be um, less um, aggressive in their monetary policy stance. And I'll give you an example. So before the invasion or before the conflict broke out in Eastern Europe, right, the market was pricing in at a fairly significant probability a 50% rate hike by the U.S. Fed. Over the last week or, or two, that possibility or probability has reduced significantly. The market is now pricing uh, at 25 basis points with almost certainty. Why? That's a Phillips curve effect. In other words, the market and the Fed is seeing that if the geopolitical tensions continue, 
then that will weigh on global growth and growth in the U.S. in particular. And therefore, the labor market will slacken and therefore, un therefore unemployment will rise and therefore inflationary pressures will recede. Right, so, so that's an important um, model or relationship to keep in mind. We call it the Phillips curve, technically speaking, but in, in layman's term, it's really just the relationship between <clears throat> expected economic activity and inflation. So the, to, to answer your question directly, and, you know, and, and this has been one of my central arguments with the, the, the Bank of Jamaica, is that it, it's not just important to, for what's happening with inflation today. What's important is your estimation of the Phillips curve or your estimation of the long-run impact of unemployment and inflation. In other words, where is the economy likely to be a year from now, two years from now? Where is inflation likely to be? Where is un unemployment likely to be? Right? If this situation eases, let's go to, now to your short-run um, state of nature or scenario that you pointed if if the situation eases in another week or so, then that's good for global growth, right? Why? There are at least two factors driving global economic conditions. One, supply, supply chain constraints driven by COVID uh, restrictions, right? So, so, so that's a major issue before this tension broke out. And now we have this geopolitical situation. So those are the two major factors driving what's happening um, to global economic activity. So if one of those factors go, go away, then it means that we are left with the, the supply chain constraints. And we are no longer bothered by the fear factor. We are no longer bothered by the volatility, the uncertainty. And, and that will be good for global growth. In other words... The, the unemployment situation, if, one, if, you're, if a central banker today is forecasting a rising um, unemployment environment, which if the conditions or the geopolitical tensions ease, then that central banker should see an improvement in unemployment and therefore um, you know, should begin now to think through what his or her next move will be as it relates to, to taming inflation. Okay, okay. So, so it's dynamic and it's complex. Uh, but as you but, said, but Philip, go ahead. But, but yeah, but it, it, importantly, Raul, you know, it, there's it's it's dynamic and it's complex. But the to to, to really demystify the situation, the, the key is to forecast what is likely to happen to unemployment and therefore what is likely to happen to inflation. If we're predicting a weaker economy going forward, then there is no need for the central bank to be very aggressive with monetary policy. In other words, unemployment itself will bring down our help to, to, to ease inflationary pressures. Right? So, so, so that's one rule of thumb, certainly how central bank, banks look at uh, you know, how, they, how they should adjust monetary policy in light of current inflation. Notice as well, and, this, and I will end with this point, notice that the U.S. Federal Reserve has been very, very slow to raise rates. 
even while our local central bank has been very aggressive, the U.S. Federal Reserve has been very, very cautious. In fact, they are just about to move 25 basis points when our central bank has gone 400 basis points. And that is because the U.S. Fed is concerned about economic growth. Even though they have a much, much stronger economy than ours, they are still very cautious about the impact that rising rates will have on the U.S. economy. Again, the so-called Phillips curve effect. Okay, okay. So there seems oh, Ron, to be... Raul, may, may I just, sure. just, just rejoin it there? Sure, uh, go ahead. Because there's an interesting nuance um, that Dr. Stokes is, is referencing here. We are uh, what you'd call a pure inflation targeting um, um, country. That is the BOJ, that is. The BOJ is mandated to, to look at inflation exclusively, while the U.S. Fed um, has what we call a dual mandate. So it is keeping in mind what is happening with inflation and what is happening with unemployment. So those are the two that it, it is um, trying to balance, are two elements of the, um, the traditional Phillips curve. So perhaps implicitly, what Dr. Sotis might, might, might be questioning is, is whether we need to even revisit the, um, the, the parameters of our inflation targeting framework, uh, because the way it is constructed now it might be a case that we privilege inflation targeting over actual um, economic growth. And in the limit, that might not necessarily be um, such a good thing. So just a food for thought here. So I, I, I inferred from what you said just now. All right, gentlemen. Excellent point. Excellent point. I, I see we're having a lot of fun opining on policy. Um, I, But... Here, here's the thing. Even, even the ECB uh, formed in, in, in the, in the heritage of the Bundesbank and its hawkish approach to, to inflation targeting, seem to de facto keep one eye on unemployment. But Richard, as you said earlier. The BOJ is a, is, a, is a young inflation targeter. Uh, the Federal Reserve's bona fides in terms of inflation targeting and inflation containment are well established from the Volcker era where he, um, Paul Volcker brought rates to 20%. Now, is, is, it, is it a reasonable assumption to make that facing its first real test of its inflation targeting mechanism, uh, the BOJ would want to pass it with flying colors and hence the aggressive response. Dr. Stokes? Listen, that, that is such a great question. Can I tell you? Um, <laughs> believe you me. <laughs> It's a very, very important question. And you, you highlighted the, the stance of the ECB, which came out of the Bundesbank, well known for being very, very hawkish with, with inflation, right, given the, 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 the German the experience with, with hyperinflation. And I, I think your, your surmise or you know, what you're thinking in terms of the BOJ being fairly young 
in its inflation targeting um, lifespan may want to to be um, that much more aggressive to prove its inflation um, fighting metal, right? And the fact that, to Richardo's point, that it's given a single mandate, right, could mean that we could see uh, a fair amount of aggression, notwithstanding the fact that the Jamaican economy may not be in the best position to take on significant interest rate increases at this time. So I, I believe we have entered into a, a very important part of the discussion. It's easy to lose um, listeners or, or viewers because it, it, it is you know, such a nuanced argument that we're making. So you know, as much as possible, you know, I want to summarize my, my point by saying that you know, the, the BOJ has the single mandate to fight inflation. And I believe that, you know, taking that, that or the interpretation of that single mandate um, to its, its logical end means that what we could see is, you know, what we have been seeing is a very aggressive posture that is not necessarily in line with the underlying growth trajectory or dynamics of, of, the, of the local economy. And you can compare or contrast that with um, central banks who have been around a very long time in terms of inflation targeting and, and just see how those central banks with long built-up credibility, how much more measured they have been when it comes to, to raising rates. The ECB is just considering whether or not it should raise rates, notwithstanding very, very heightened inflation, inflationary pressures. And that's because, you know, as I indicated, you know, they are very concerned also about growth prospects. Yes. So, but again, those financial markets are a confidence game, and the market does have confidence in the kind of G2 central banks in terms of the ECB and the Fed. And much of that comes from its track record. The, the Jamaican yeah. track record is very different. Yes. So that that leaves us, this might be seen as the moment where the BOJ establishes its reputation. So if we, yeah. if we, it seems, there seems to be broad consensus that interest rates are going up, right? Um, and there, there's a, there's a question that, you know, I kind I kind of want to get to because I mean it, it's I it may it may be the elephant in the room if you're an inflation targeting central bank um, and you, especially if you're a young inflation targeter and you're faced with a supply chain a compound supply chain geopolitical crisis are you are you obliged to essentially vaporize economic growth to, to, to meet your mandate. So you can't do anything about the supply side. Do you, do you, do you squarely attack the demand side? That's, that I think is maybe elephant in the room. Is that, is that what inflation targeting demands? That, that question is for me, Raul? Sure, sure okay. go ahead. But I, I actually think you've answered the question um, at the top in terms of your summary, in terms of being young uh, from an from a, um, inflation credibility perspective. 
and the, the you know the, the boj um might be proving its metal right trying to build its quote-unquote um credibility uh at the expense of of, of growth right and in my personal view, I think that 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 is what is happening. Uh, you know that the they have been um, extremely aggressive, and you know, and I actually stated, and the the, the EPC, the Economic Policy Committee of the Private Sector, um, did a release um, about uh, two weeks ago, where we 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 really highlighted a number of the points that that I just made. One thing I would like to request of the BOJ is for them to to highlight where they think the the equilibrium rate policy rate is, right? So the we believe that the U.S. Fed over the, over another year or two could could get up to two percent. Already, the Bank of Jamaica is up up at four percent. It would be a very interesting revelation. If we were to hear from the Bank of Jamaica, how far, where do they think they have to bring rates, right, to to achieve their inflation targeting ambitions? Yes, that is indeed quite an interesting question. Um, on the on the matter of equilibrium, right, uh, there there is a view that the U.S. consumer has excess savings and the u.s economy is is strong and resilient to shocks uh largely driven by that that very liquid consumer uh we saw in the covid19 crisis uh pandemic and economic crisis a strong response in jamaica in terms of remittances that on balance left our current account looking surprisingly good in, in, in my opinion. The question is what, what is the resiliency of the Jamaican consumer and economy to this shock, the uh, current oil price shock? And yeah, so what what really what what really is the the, the the resilience how much of this shock can we take and i think i want to go to miss param in terms of what what is being seen in 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 the gasoline sector are we seeing i mean you kept alluding to it so maybe you can just confirm because you said you know it's fixed incomes in terms of your members are they seeing reduced Sales are they seeing steady sales or are they seeing increased sales? Thank you for that question. We are actually seeing reduced sales at this point in time. However, based on what you said earlier about the the impact, it what what it's what is happening in the industry is that as we get into a recovery, we're expecting to see the increase and the pickup in sales. But right now, we are coming out of the pandemic. We're seeing changes in our economy. So as the recovery continue, that's when we will see the pickup in sales right now. Okay. So you're seeing reduced sales, but expecting sales to pick up going forward. It- going forward with the recovery that's tied to the recovery though in the economy 
So which is why the inflationary effect that it will have is that when you heard today, JPS has announced that they'll have increased prices. The NWC has put us on notice as well. that the, So those inflationary impact, once we have the recovery in the economy, that is what will bring us to the point of increases. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to keep this to Dr. Stokes and then probably come to you, Richardo. The, the view of the, the U.S. consumer <laughs> being the U.S. consumer being liquid and being liquid and resilient and able to absorb shocks. I, I'd, I'd like to hear what you think about that. But also the Jamaican consumer, where, where is the, the median Jamaican consumer post-crisis in terms of household balance sheets? What is their ability to absorb shocks? And what kind of oil price do we anticipate demand destruction that Ms. Param kept alluding to um, in terms of no matter how high the price climbs, the, the consumer just can't meet there and will retrench. What, what, what are your views on that, Dr. Stokes? Yes. So, uh, again, this goes back to one of the themes that we have developed um, this evening, and it's really around the duration of the, the geopolitical tensions and, and you know, just, just how much um, permanence the, the increase in commodity prices will have because the, the longer this goes on, then it is tantamount to a permanent tax, right? Which means that disposable incomes uh, will fall. And, and with that, there will be a fair amount of demand destruction, right? So the, the key is how long this thing will, will go on for. for. Um, at, the, at, the, at the micro level, at the consumer level, the, the good thing is that the the debt burden for Jamaicans uh, is fairly low relative to, to Caribbean standards, right? And, you know, many reasons are, are there for, for this um, situation. But, but that's a good situation, right? That the fact that the, the balance sheets um, of Jamaicans compared to, to our Caribbean neighbors in terms of overall debt uh, is, is not significant. However, it is rising. And, and that's important. So we have seen, for example, the mortgage market grown significantly over the last um, five years. And to, to the extent that uh, many persons who are on fixed income and who took mortgages that, you know, were fairly on the borderline in, in, in the sense that they're barely qualified um, for these mortgages, if and when financial institutions start to reprice, then that could be a problem and could go to that resiliency question, right? But that, that's certainly one of the, the, the markets that I'm looking at, the mortgage market, right? And, and what's happening there and, you know, the underwriting standard um, for some of these mortgages and, and, and in general loans, right <clears throat> what what has been or what is the underwriting standard how good it is right um certain as it relates to 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 your debt servicing ratio which is a proportion of your income that that goes to debt servicing 
right? So 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 that that's going to be important, and and will go directly, Raul, to to that resiliency question. At a macro level, the 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 Jamaican economy is certainly in a much better place than it has been, let's say, ten years ago, on the resiliency question, right? Our debt burden will fall to below a hundred percent, you know, at the end of the next fiscal year. So that's a good thing. Our fiscal situation has improved. We are expected to to run a slight surplus at the end of March. So that's for the, the 21-22 fiscal year. So that's a good thing. Our net international reserves are above $3 billion. So, so that's a good thing. And, and those things will help us from a resiliency perspective. But again, I will end by going back to a key theme. Um, the resiliency is really a function of duration of the geopolitical situation. So do you think we're okay for now with the geopolitical crisis about three weeks old? We are okay for now. And at the macro level, I think, you know, we will be okay, um, certainly for the, the fiscal year even if the, the situation um, drags on. Obviously, if it escalates and the and commodity prices were to go haywire, if the, the, the drag on global growth uh, is worsened, if the fear index rises further so that things like travel and, you know, becomes um, impacted, then obviously you could see fourth, fault lines with our economy, right? Uh, and, and that would be a very problematic situation. And pretty much what I'm doing is really segue into probably other scenario, that is if this crisis were to drag on for a year or so, then I believe we would begin to enter in, begin to enter a world of hurt. I see. Yes, yes, ma'am. If I may add as well, based on the remittance impact that we had over the pandemic period, because of the geopolitical tensions now, will we see that increase or continued growth in the remittance space? Because if we do not see that growth in the remittance space, then that can have impact as well on our economy. And, and that's a great point because the, the COVID shock was buffered by remittances, right? And significant inflows from the U.S., largely because of significant, the significant U.S. deficit. Now, that has gone away, and I don't think the U.S. has the political climate or appetite for another round of stimulus checks going to its citizens. So that will be problematic or could be problematic if the crisis drags on. Yes, yes. Uh, just a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, we are interested in your, in your participation. If you have any questions, feel free to message them to Burrito Investments. Uh, send the messages to our inbox and we'll get them out in this forum. Uh, Richard, do you have anything to add to this particular point? No, I think um, Dan and, and Adrian fully fully ventilated um, that uh, there's there's just one additional nuance though that I I would add, and 
it is the the matter of government support to uh, lower income households um, that is a, would be a critical response um, if this crisis um, prolongs because in addition to the remittances heightened remittances that we saw um, during the covid covid period we also um, had covid care which was about 2.3 percent um, of of gdp so to the extent that we see a significant spike in inflation and how it works its way through the economy the low-income households um, that typically spend on some of the largest sectors in the economy, such as the, you know, the wholesale and the distribution trade, etc., demand w- will need to be uh, supported there via um, government support. And in some way, I think um, Dr. Clark in his budget presentation kind of alluded to it when he, he mentioned the or gave the reason for for not um, rescinding the special consumption tax on on, on gasoline um, in that it is best if we kind of channel those resources to the households that need it um, the most so in a case where this really um, worsens that is something that um, government will definitely need to look into to ensure we don't have a complete uh, demand destruction at the level of the lower income households that account for a significant amount of demand um, in the economy. Thank you very much for that, Richard. And I think I think government, from a policy and philosophy point of view, is quite quite focused on that. Um, and I mean, we can talk. We we. Well, coming from where we are, so I mean, there seems to be consensus amongst the panel that that interest rates will move up, that demand destruction is a is a very real risk, and that the the long duration scenario is generally a a, a bad one and a suboptimal outcome to say the least. But I mean, we, we haven't really fleshed out a base case. So, I mean, as you respond to this this question, you can maybe give what you think your base case is. But what do investors do in the current climate that we're, we're facing that seems to have consensus higher rates and a, a geopolitical crisis with a lot of uncertainty? But uncertainty a lot of variability and depending on how the variables break i imagine you could have quite stark outcomes or differences in outcomes uh would love to hear dr stokes to start with you your view in terms of what do investors do in the current climate right so i I believe it's it's very important to to land on where you think the geopolitical uh, you know issues will go or how soon they will be resolved right um, you know my own view is that I, I believe they could drag on for for a little while right um, how long I mean I'm not you know an expert 
um, in this area. But my own, um, you know, basic reading of the situation and just how complex the the underlying issues are, I I, I believe that the you know this could go on for a while now. And if that is true, it means that we will see continued volatility in in the price or prices for risky assets. Um, so stocks, bonds, you know, you 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 know, you, you will continue to see um, you know volatility. From an investor perspective, uh, again, it's very important to to know who you are as an investor, understand your risk tolerance. Uh, from a long-term perspective, you know, then a lot of this will, will, will be noise when you look at this five years, ten years from now. And, and pretty much what this situation, therefore, presents will be good enterprises for decent assets, good assets, fundamental, you know, companies or, or countries with good fundamentals, you know, it, it might be a good time, you know, when, when if prices fall enough and the expected re, uh, returns increase enough, then it, it could be time to take a, a long-term view, right? But, you know, as I said, you know, it's very, very important from a risk tolerance perspective to assess who you are, ensure that you speak to your investment advisors and, you know, ascertain or, or get more information as it relates to developing a scenario around the duration. And if you're long-term in nature, then I believe the, the environment will, will present good entry points for quality assets. Okay, Ricardo. Yeah, man, those are um, excellent points by Dr. Stokes. Um, Based on, on our our work looking at you know previous geopolitical um, geopolitical crises, um, commodities, as Dr. Stokes mentioned at the fir- at the top of the conversation, is definitely one that um, that performs during this during during this kind of market cycle, and we're already seeing it. Right, if we look at just S and P five hundred index only the energy um sector has posted um positive positive gains uh, year to date and it is quite interesting that even um the sage the investor warren buffett uh, would take a, a significant stake or at least exercise his equity warrant um in exxon Mobil about two weeks um ago right so now is definitely a time to express a thematic view on energy. And this is something that is going to have some significant duration. In just the same way that COVID-19 brought into sharp focus the fragility of global supply chains, and now you're seeing a lot of reshoring, onshoring, and nearshoring taking place, a similar idea is happening now in energy markets. Europe has seen its dependence on um, Russian energy, and plans are already afoot to, one, diversify the sources, and two, to um, invest in that secular theme of cleaner energy, right? So there are some names out there, for instance, you know, Canadian Natural Resources is a good one that comes to mind, out of Canada, has just been um, on a tear, 
even before this this crisis um because the future apparently it seems is more um premised on clean energy and if you are an investor who has an appetite for that space this crisis really is just amplifying um that trend so that's one two the way you can express a view in commodities as well as you can look at the the stronger credits in the commodities um, space, um, either um, corporates or or sovereign sovereign debt. Um, Brazil is a is a very interesting example here because Brazil has really taken a beating certainly for the last three years, and it might very well be. Um, at its most attractive point um, at this point. Like Petrobras, for example, is seeing a lot of displaced demand going that side. Um, and this could be a very interesting way to play that dynamic. So in terms of a, a retail investor, you know, the question that you're asking yourself is, okay, um, you're calling all of these names. How exactly do I um, get exposure to this? So it's a shameless plug here, um, Raul. So some of our unitized products um, <laughs> could definitely give you know exposure um, to that um, through the, the the assets that some of our that our fixed income and equity portfolio managers are looking to to take positions in just now. Locally, um, I think the theme that we have been beating throughout the pandemic about strong companies that have um, very good balance sheets, um, very good and capable management, um, we think are still poised um, to do well um, locally. But asset or security selections is still paramount um, at this point. Prioritize your, your, um, your liquidity. Um, for those decent entry points that will naturally come up as volatility increases, as, as Dr. Dr. Stokes um, mentioned. So that really is how you can begin to, um, to play this environment. And the final point that I would probably mention is that you could pursue what we also call a kind of barbell um, strategy by incorporating more long-term themes such as tech you know tech stocks are not necessarily going to go anywhere um, anytime soon but they are they are very um to say susceptible to a rising interest rate environment because they have a long what you call long equity duration so if interest rates start to go up um certainly in the u.s um you will see a fall off um, in their in their prices today was a very good example example of that but if you have a long-term orientation you believe the future is tech and the future is is um, clean energy you can always incorporate those two into your portfolio um, as well so those are some of the ways um, Raul, that investors can can play this this environment okay Thank you very much for that, Richardo. Miss Parma, I'd like to go to you. What are your members doing and how how are they adjusting to the current environment um, from a business operator point of view and, and, and what's your advice to them going forward? 
Well, we have to look at the contribution to the world market that Russia plays in terms of energy. Russia is a major energy producer, major supplier of oil to the market. So, as we said, we are looking at the impact that that fallout will have. When we um, look at the market, OPEC has not given any indication whether they'll increase production or who can, who will be able to assist in that area of um, the fallout with Russia. In terms of our members, in terms of our members, <clears throat> you, you have to understand your risk. As he said here, you must know the areas that affect you, and we are anticipating that the fallout will not be significant to our members. Okay, I, I think you broke up at the end there, but uh, I think you said you anticipate the fallout wouldn't uh, affect your, your members too negatively. Is that is that correct? Yes, that's correct. We wouldn't expect, we are not expecting right now to see a significant fallout. Okay, okay. All right, so with, uh, in terms of a, a sum up, we're, we're, we're pivoting to commodity producers where we can, we're trying to remain disciplined in, the, in, in our long-term investment, investment strategies and we're we're looking at security selection as being a key strategy to navigate this time. Um, and we're also shamelessly plugging Barita's Unitized Funds to use their expertise to help you navigate this current volatile environment. All right. Uh, so if we, if we go back a bit, Dr. Stokes, just to give some broader insights um, into the possible long duration scenario, I had I had some questions. the The Central Bank of Russia might be the largest entity to be sanctioned in modern history. Um, the balance sheet north of six hundred billion U.S. dollars is larger than the, the the entire Iranian economy was at the apex of its sanctioning. Uh, Russia is the largest country in the world by landmass. They are the second largest oil exporter. They are the largest nuclear power. They are the largest pr producers of palladium uh, used in catalytic converters and semiconductors. They're one of the largest producers of nickel, uh, for stainless steel, and for batteries that would become important in renewable energy revolution, if you will. My question is, is Russia a long-term sanctionable economy? Can, can this strategy of unplugging the Russian economy from the modern financial and global economic system, can it sustain in over, over a long duration scenario? And, and what would be the fallout of that? Yeah, another way to, to ask your question is, you know, what will it cost the world economy, you know, from unplugging Russia, right? Uh, so, as you indicated, it's not an insignificant economy. 
it's it's fairly large uh, and important contributor to to world economic growth and and so the the impact certainly in the near term will be material <clears throat> and already we are seeing the the effects on on commodity markets right so you know as time goes on you know people always learn to to live without or or adjust but but certainly you can see you know if this situation continues then world economic output will will slump and i think that is unambiguous and that is a situation that i would be believe will start to ap- approach worst case scenario okay okay um again we are we're we're coming down to the the close of of our session tonight so if anyone has any questions we're going to invite you to request speaker privileges and we can get that segment of the discussion going before we wrap Zariki, you have a question? If there's a question, you can unmute. Zariki, you've been given speaker privileges. Hello, yes, to Mrs. Diana. For the JR, JR, for the gasoline retail market, basically. When the gas for when the oil price goes back to six to five dollar, will the will Jamaicans consumer benefit from, from that basically? As Petrojam normal would not like to reduce price as or increase price. What I would say is there are certain factors that's used to arrive at the ex-refinery prices. And I would expect that if we go back to those levels, we'll certainly see decreases. But the fact, remember, we have to look at the exchange rate. We have to look at the oil price. And then we look at the tax component. So we would certainly expect to see decreases, probably not to the same extent as increases but we would see decreases. Okay, thank, thank, thank you for that. Um, I don't know, I don't know how clearly it came across, but Zadiki, I think, uh, and Ms. Parham, please correct me if I'm incorrect, but what was said is that we will see increases and decreases track the general price of crude oil, but there are other there are other factors to take take into consideration, such as the exchange rate and depreciation of the exchange rate would re- result in um, limits uh, to to see a, a, a decrease that that mirrors the the, the movements on the global. Oil markets. Do I have that right, Miss Parham? Yes, you do. 
You do, Raul. Okay. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, again, if, if, if there are any further questions, please, this is really your segment of, of program. So you can go ahead and request or you can go ahead and send them into our inbox and we'll address them. Um, while we wait on the questions, Dr. Stokes, as, as that question just highlighted, the, the exchange rate is a key variable in, in all of this. And some comments were made prior to the resiliency of, of the Jamaican e economy. Uh, we, we, we see where non-board reserves are, are, are significantly higher than they were seven or eight years ago. Uh, we see we see where the IMF's own measure of reserve adequacy has us well over a hundred and thirty percent. I think the published number was a hundred and forty-one point eight percent as of February. Um, the, our current account has 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 also performed reasonably well. So if we check the current account box, we check the continue. Which, sorry, if we if we check the current account box, we check the contingency reserves, um, and and we check we check the fiscal accounts box. What 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 else what else is is needed in terms of keeping the currency stable, and 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 what is the view on the exchange rate? Right. So it, it's really around stock and flows, right? So stock they are the hazard positions are pretty pretty good in terms of the fiscal situation, net international reserves, you know, from a macroeconomic uh perspective we have stability and which is always good uh from an exchange rate pricing perspective. Right? The the impact of, and I go back to the, the global situation, right, and how that could impact the local economy, right? And we spoke about uh, uh, a long-duration um, crisis, which could have deleterious impact on uh, the current account, or more generally the balance of payments, right? Then that could bring added pressure to the exchange rate, right? So, again, and, you know, certainly, you know, what your listeners should take away is that the prognosis or what is likely to occur to the Jamaica, the Jamaican economy is, is highly dependent on current prices, highly dependent on that. All right, Ron, Ron are you speaking? All right, so until Royal comes back, um, as we're on the final stretch here, um, are there any other questions or comments? Okay. All right, so um, I think Royal has some technical difficulties, and I think we have pretty much covered a lot of ground, um, a lot of ground this, this afternoon, and um, this might be a logical um, place to to end the conversation um, this evening. So on behalf of 
Barita, certainly I want to thank Dr. Adrian Stokes and Diane Parham for joining us. Um, they are very esteemed um, representatives, members of the, of the PSOJ. And we from Barita also want to thank you for tuning in um, this afternoon. So without further ado, you know, we can all call it a wraps here. So thanks again, Adrian. Thank you. Thanks again. Richard, I just want to thank you as well for the opportunity to speak to your members and really to discuss the impact of this geopolitical situation. So thank you again for the opportunity. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Diane. All right. So goodbye, everyone. Bye.